Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Happy Father's Day to you all. Happy Father's Day to all the dads, the fathers, the father figures out there. So glad to be able to celebrate with you this morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Ben. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend Church. Whether you're live with us here in Gainesville and Oakwood on our Oakwood campus, was already able to spend some time with, uh, with, the, with the volunteers down at Oakwood. Uh, no better group of volunteers than we have down at our Oakwood campus. Incredible men and women just pouring their lives out, just uh, showing uh, the love of Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, if you're joining us online, welcome. We love being able to gather together, spend time with one another, and today we get to celebrate fathers, dads, father figures, and I think that there are three essential things to Father's Day in no particular order, dad jokes, meat, and naps, all right? So we're going to knock out two of the three, hopefully not the third, hopefully not the nap, we'll save that to this afternoon. So to help kick us off a little lighthearted, I've asked two of our dads to come up, and they're going to give us, they're going to alternate back and forth, they're going to give us their best dad joke, and then we're going to choose who, the winner of the best dad jokes. So, would our two volunteers this morning come? Would you give them a well, warm welcome? So if y'all don't know, that's going to be tough to beat. If y'all don't know, as Jeff White, as Rob Andrews, their kids are thrilled that they're up here. So here's what we're going to start with. Listen, we've got to pay bills. So keep that in mind with your dad jokes, okay? All right. Don't make me lose my job. That's what I'm getting at. So here's what we're going to do. Is Jeff, you're going to go one, and then Rob, you're going to go. And then Jeff, you got another one. Rob, you got another one, and then we'll declare a winner. Good? All right. Start us off, Jeff. Okay, well, I have to. <laughs> it's one of those things that when somebody asks you to do something, you say, yeah, I'll do that. And immediately, like right now, I'm thinking, boy, I wish he'd ask somebody else. <laughs> so, um, Okay. Anybody have pets? Raise your hand. A recent study came out that 30% of pet owners let their pets sleep with them. I tried it and my goldfish died. It's a solid start. Thank you. Well, Jeff, I was at the gym the other day. No, That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> <clears throat> and, there was, and there was a chicken there. He was working on his pecs. That's, That's good, good Rob. That's good. All right. The other night, Elisa and I were out to dinner, and the waitress was flirting with me. She turns and walks away. Elisa said, bless her heart, she's obviously had COVID. I said, how do you know that? She said, because she has no taste. <laughs> I 
Okay. <laughs> what do you get when you put a mad cow and an angry goat in the same room? A bad mood. <laughs> All right, Riverbend, here's what I need your help with. We need to declare a winner. So by round of applause, if you think the winner is Jeff, put your hands together. If you think the winner is Rob, put your hands together. That's a tough one. That's a tie. It's a half pounder. Well, you both, you, both, you both get beef jerky. So, and then you get the, uh, you get the dad cup that I think it says, where do I keep, I don't know what it says. This is a dad joke on there. All right, we, we love just being able to celebrate dads and just being able to honor dads because I don't think it's a secret at all that especially in our day and age and our cultures, um, you know, dads and father figures are, are, are kind of, they're, they're very much relegated, they're, they're, they're ridiculed, they're downplayed. But here's what we know. We know that who we are in large part uh, is due to the contributions of the men, the fathers, and the father figures of our lives. And your influence can never be overstated. And what I want to do this morning in the time that we have is I want to go into a book or go into a passage in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's a physical copy or digital copy, Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be picking it up in verse 16. But let me get, give you kind of a little bit of a historical context. Because what we're going to be looking at this morning is... Um, is a father that he's mentioned, this guy he's mentioned in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his name appears in all four, but there's not a whole lot of print given to him. There's not a whole lot of ink given to this guy. It's a guy by the name of Zebedee. It's a dad that we know as Zebedee. Now, we also know this as uh, dads and, and men and father figures, we come in all different types of personalities, right? So you may be the type of personality that you're kind of an out front, like uh, life of the party type of guy. You may be more the behind the scenes type of, uh, type of quiet leader, but your influence is immense and enormous nonetheless, no matter what your personality type is and no matter what your personality wiring is. I happen to believe that Zebedee is probably one, uh, one of these behind-the-scenes types of guys, even though his overall context and, 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 and what we do know about him is, is, is going to be really big for us to kind of unpack when we start looking at the challenge that God has for us as dads and fathers and father figures. But when we get to Mark chapter 1, Jesus is about 30 years old at this point in time. He's on the very, very front edge of his ministry. Before Jesus starts his earthly ministry, his cousin, a guy that we know as John the Baptist, is baptizing people by the Jordan River or in the Jordan River. He's teaching about baptism and repentance, and he's preparing the, uh, the hearts and the minds of the people that are coming out of Jerusalem and the surrounding area to come hear him speak. He's preparing them for the coming Messiah, Jesus. Jesus comes onto the scene, comes to the banks of the Jordan River, and comes down into the water and, and tells John that he needs John to baptize him. John baptizes Jesus, goes under the water, 
comes back up. We read in the early chapters of the book of Matthew to where the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove and a voice of uh, the Father descended from heaven, say, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. From that point on, the Holy Spirit of God leads, leads Jesus out into the wilderness, out into the desert for about 40 days of prayer and fasting and just spending time with the Father. And in those 40 days, we have the three temptations of Jesus listed for us. After those 40 days, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he starts to select his first followers. He starts to select his first four Apostles, And this is where we pick it up in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1 of where Jesus is on the scene calling his first four apostles. Read with me, verse 16. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Some of your translations may say, Come follow me and I'll teach you how to be a fisher of men. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Verse 19, a little further up, or farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Now, this means that Jesus, when we start to look at Jesus calling his disciples I think that we probably need a little bit of first century Jewish context to understand what these guys were doing. They weren't just fishermen. We need to see that they were kind of seen as a certain class of people, if you will. So first century Jewish context is this, is if you were a male boy at the age of six, you would go to your local synagogue. And you would go to your local synagogue probably every day, and you would memorize the entire Torah as a six-year-old, six through 10 years old, memorize the entire Torah. Now for us, we know the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So at the age of six, all Jewish boys would memorize word for word all five of those books from six to 10. And you thought multiplication tables were tough. But the rabbis would look at the vast majority of that group of boys and thank them for their time, probably give them a participation certificate or scroll. They would have a graduation ceremony to where their parents, their moms are posting on Facebook and Instagram, you know, this happy graduation from little synagogue school. But they would look at the vast majority of these little boys and they would go, go follow your father's trade. Go learn your father's trade. In other words, go follow in your father's footsteps. If your dad was a farmer, you would learn how to be a farmer. If your dad was a fisherman, you would learn how to be a fisherman. But they would, they would hold back and they would retain the best of the best of the best. And of the best of the best of the best, those boys, starting at the age of 10, would go on to memorize the entire, what we now know as the Old Testament, word for word. Genesis through Malachi, they would memorize this, word for word. And to the vast majority of those kids, they would give them a graduation uh, certificate or scroll, get, do, a, do a ceremony, hold nine yards, and they would say, go learn a trade. In other words, we believe that you have what it takes to go blaze your own path in a career. If you want to follow your dad's footsteps in being a carpenter or a farmer or a fisherman, go have at it. But we believe that you have what it takes to go blaze your own path. But to the very best of the best of the best of the best, 
They would retain those boys after memorizing the entire Old Testament, and they would assign that boy to sit under a specific rabbi or teacher. And that teacher would then teach that little boy or that young man his take on certain passages and prophecies of the Old Testament. That take and those teachings of the rabbi would be known as that rabbi's yoke, which gives a completely deeper understanding to what Jesus says in the popular passage in Matthew 11. Remember when Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my what? Take my yoke upon you. Take my teachings upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my what? My yoke, my teaching is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What is the yoke of Jesus? The the yoke of Jesus is basically twofold. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. Love God, love people. That's my yoke. That's the yoke of Jesus. That's the teaching. That's the core essence, the core teachings of Jesus. You may, say, you may say, okay, that's great, good to know. From six to 10, memorize the first five books. Man, that's crazy. After 10 years old, vast majority, they were dismissed, but then some of them went to memorize Genesis through Malachi. Cool. And then after that, select few would send her to, send, sit under a rabbi's teachings. What in the world does this have to do with me in 2023? Well, the context of this, since Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, is these four men, Peter and Andrew, James and John, were considered the not good enoughs of the religious. They were considered the not good enoughs by the people that were picking teams. I don't know your story, I don't know your background, don't know your context or your setting, what you came in here with this morning or, or, or what you have uh, in Oakwood or watching online where you may be physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually. But are some of us feeling a little discouraged? Maybe discouraged? Maybe, maybe we're still broken over some past mistakes? Maybe you feel like a not good enough Can I give you a word of encouragement, Gainesville, Oakwood, online? It's the not good enough that Jesus specializes in. It was the not good enough that Jesus called to follow him and to flip the world up on its head and giving the hope of the gospel to everyone that they came across. And by the way, his pattern hasn't changed. He still calls the not good enoughs. But here's the difference between Peter and Andrew and James and John. Peter and Andrew, they were fishermen, James and John, they were also fishermen, but their daddy owned the fishing business. So Peter and Andrew, even though they were fishermen, they went to learn their father's trade. James and John had a safety net in following Jesus. So when Jesus comes and says, hey, James and John, sons of Zebedee, you come follow me. For them to step away and follow Jesus, they weren't stepping away from nothing. They were stepping away from a tangible future, a seemingly secure future, in order to embrace a life of unknown faith in following Jesus. You know who had the primary role in all of this? Zebedee. Zebedee had the primary role in James and John following Jesus. Here's why. Because as the dad, Zebedee served as a gate of sorts. Now, we all know this. If you, have a, if you have a fence in your yard, you have a gate, 
A gate's gonna serve as two primary functions, right? It's either going to serve, it's gonna stay closed to keep things either out or to keep things in. Or a gate serves to swing open to allow things out or to allow things in. That's so true for the dads, the fathers, and the father figures in here. Is every single one of us in our spheres and our circles of influence, whether you're a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you are a veteran in following Jesus, you follow Jesus for decades, or whether you're brand new to following Jesus, mine in your life, we serve as gates to the circles and the spheres of influence that God has already placed us around. Zebedee could have kept the gate closed and basically looked at his sons and go, James and John, listen, I know that you want to follow Jesus. I know that you want to go after this guy. I know that you want to chase after this. But guys, listen, sons, listen, this is what we've been planning for. This is the family business. He could have kept the gate closed, but what did Zebedee do? He opened the gate. He opened the gate and he actually encouraged his boys to go follow Jesus. And you may say, Ben, I don't read in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 18, to where Zebedee encourages his boys to follow Jesus. Where do you get that he encouraged his boys to follow Jesus? It comes with the overwhelming way in which God has chosen to work in the power of the influence of dads and father figures in our lives. I don't think that anything has changed over 2,000 years. So here's what I would tell you, is as we look as men, as women, as students, as anybody who God has placed in a position of influence, how do we live a life that actually encourages those around us to follow Jesus? And there's two primary ways that we're gonna be looking at this morning. Just two primary ways through the life and through the lens of Zebedee. Here's the first one, is living a life of consistent faithfulness. Living a life of consistent faithfulness. Now, like I said, Zebedee's name appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, there's not a lot of ink given to him. We just have his name. But here's what we do have. We do know that his family were very, was very, very close to God. We know that his family was very, very close to Jesus. As a matter of fact, Zebedee's wife was a woman by the name of Salome. Salome ministered to Jesus, met his physical needs while he ministered in the area of, in the region of Galilee. Salome was also one of the women that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And Salome was also one of the women that went to the tomb the morning of Easter, uh, of Easter Sunday to anoint Jesus' body with spices. Salome, Zebedee's wife, was one of the first ones to discover that Jesus wasn't in the tomb anymore. James and John, his bro, his, Zebedee's sons, John was already a disciple of John the Baptist. We read in some of the other gospel accounts to where John followed John the Baptist, and then when John the Baptist introduced everybody to Jesus, John looked at John the Baptist and goes, okay, you've been preparing me for this guy, I'm going to follow this guy. We know that there is this, that, that, that there's this track record there. James and John, along with Peter, they composed the, 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 the inner circle, the core three of Jesus' closest disciples. This core three, they were privy 
to being, seeing Jesus actually in his glorified heavenly state on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were the only three of the apostles that got to see Jesus in that state. These three were the ones that Jesus took deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was betrayed by Judas to pray for him. These three were the three that were present when, G when Judas came up to betray Jesus with a kiss. It was these three that composed the inner core of Jesus' friendship group. You may say, okay, so Salome, she loved Jesus. James and John obviously loved Jesus. Then how do we get that Zebedee obviously loved Jesus? Well, we get this through, there's overwhelming evidence, statistical evidence, that he would have absolutely loved Jesus. Here's what I mean. And like I said, I don't think that anything has changed over 2,000 years in the way in which influence works and the way that God wants to work in the family unit. I want to show you some stats. When kids come to Jesus Christ first, 3.5% of families will follow. What I mean by that is we love being able to pour into our kids. We love being able to teach our kids the gospel. From the time that they are born to the time that they leave uh, elementary school, make the transition into middle school and high school, we love being able to teach them that there is a God that created them, there's a God that loves them, Jesus has plans for them, and the Holy Spirit can empower them. We love doing it. We will never give up doing that. We love next gen. We will always give next gen our best and our first and our finest. We love going after next gen. However, if a kid is the first in a family to become a follower of Jesus, only 3.5% 3, 3 of families, moms and dads and the rest of the family will follow. If a mom comes to Jesus first and she's the only person in the family that becomes a follower of Jesus first, and guess what? 17% of families follow. But check this out. When a dad comes to Jesus first, check this out. 93% of families follow. You may say, give or take what? It doesn't matter. 93% of families follow when dad follows Jesus. Here's what we know. Typically, as the dad goes, so goes the family. As the dad goes, so goes the family. So how can we make these inferences about Zebedee? We look at the fruit of the family. As the dad goes, so goes the family. So I guarantee you that Zebedee was a God-fearing, Jesus-loving man that even though he led from the background and there's not a lot of print given to him, his life of faithfulness, of consistent faithfulness, was on display in the way in which his wife followed Jesus, in the way that his sons followed Jesus. He lived a life of consistent faithfulness. Now, here's the encouraging word. Zebedee wasn't a pastor. Zebedee wasn't a missionary. Zebedee wasn't some, uh, had some massive following, social media follow, following as a Christian influencer. He was a businessman. He was a fisherman. He was a businessman. How in the world could this fisherman have such an impact for the kingdom of God? Here's why. Because Jesus always did more through the lives of ordinary fishermen than he ever did through hypocritical religious leaders. Let me say that again. Jesus always did, Jesus always does, more through the, life, through the lives of ordinary fishermen than he does through hypocritical religious leaders. 
He lived a life of consistency. I think that we, faithful consistency, I think that sometimes we get so twisted. And even, I would even say that it comes out of some enthusiasm and exuberance to do great things for God. We get things so twisted that we think that we have to do these big audacious things for God and we lose sight of the fact that what he has called us to do is to live a life of faithful obedience even in the seemingly mundane times. Let me say that a different way. God cares just as much about your Mondays and Thursdays as he does your Sundays. And where's this lived out first? It's lived out first in the home. So dads, fathers, father figures, men, how do we do this? How do we live out a life of consistent faithfulness to our families? This is not an exhaustive list, but I think it's going to start here. I think it starts with praying over your kids, praying over your wife, praying over your family, praying with your family. I think it also starts with having just very honest conversations with your family, with your kids, and say, hey, listen, mom and I, or maybe you're a single dad, or maybe you're a single mom, and you're just being very honest and very vulnerable with your kids and going, listen, I'm really having to pray through this decision. I don't know which way to go, but I'm praying through it because I need God to guide me. As a mom, as a dad, as a father, as a father figure, you don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes the most powerful thing that you and I can do in leading our homes and leading our families and lives that honor Jesus is to show them our, our, our vulnerable dependence on Jesus, our need for Jesus. Because listen, if we don't portray that to our kids, our kids are going to grow up thinking, hey, listen, if I'm just like dad and dad never showed me that he needed Jesus, then I'm going to try to be like dad and I don't need Jesus. And we know that that's not the case at all. I, 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 love, the, I love the old quote that goes something like this. It says, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. And except under rare circumstances, as the dad goes, so goes the family. But it starts with living a life of faithful consistency and consistent faithfulness. But it also goes with this, living with an eternal perspective. Living with an eternal perspective. Again, put yourself in the shoes of Zebedee. What would the safer bet be? What would the safer bet be? For James and John to stay with him as fishermen. That would be the safer bet. But Zebedee knew this. In the perspective of eternity, the wisest thing for James and John to do would be to follow Jesus. But make no mistake about it. This really costs, this decision costs Zebedee. And this is what I mean. James and John, his two boys, they were probably his two best fishermen. He taught his boys the trick of the trade. They knew all the family secret like fishing spots. James and John helped Zebedee, helped their dad build this business up. James and John were the retirement plan for Zebedee. James and John actually standing in, in line to inherit a fishing company, a fishing business, 
stood to make a lot of money, and a lot of money was going to translate into a lot of influence. They stood to be major players in the fishing business in the Galilee region of that time. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, James and John, follow me, he was asking them to give up something that was seemingly certain to embrace something that had no guarantees. And you may think, okay, I'm glad it worked out for them, but then I'm, I'm, I'm really scared of that exchange. I don't know if I'd do that. Well, check this out. As a part of that exchange, James and John could have stayed as business partners of their dad, eventually taking over the family business, or they could be eyewitnesses to the Son of God. His life, his teachings, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. You see, James and John, after making the decision to follow Jesus, James is going to go on to be the first apostle martyred. In other words, he's the first disciple to be killed for saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He was killed because he was so outspoken for Jesus Christ, saying, listen, we followed this guy for three, three and a half years. We saw him die. We saw him resurrect from the dead. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, the life. Repent. Experience eternal life through Jesus. And the political leaders of that day in Jerusalem, around 44 AD, had enough, and they killed James. He was the very first of the disciples killed. His brother John goes on to write the books of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, the book of Revelation and the book of John. John was the only one of the 12 apostles that was not martyred for his faith. But he didn't get off easy. He actually was hunted down and he was boiled alive in oil and they thought he died, but he woke up. And then he was thrown into a prison and then he, he spent his last days busting rocks in a prison camp on the island of Patmos, dying desolate and hungry. But it, it was this exchange there. But again, can you imagine how history may have been different if Zebedee had forbade James and John to go, placed doubt in their hearts about going, or even hesitated? about James and John following Jesus. You see, this gets back to the heart of living with an eternal perspective. Do you know what the number one qualifier or the number one evidence of, of a life that lives with the eternal perspective is? It's generosity. It's generosity. Now, follow with me. Generosity is when I take and when I start to look at everything that I have, my time, my talents, and my treasures. And I start to realize these are not things for me to own. These are things for me to steward. And what I mean by stewarding is these are things for me to manage, not for me to own. These are things for me to invest. These are things that have been entrusted to me by God so my primary responsibility is to invest these things to the kingdom and the purpose of God. Let's hold that thought. Let me ask you a question. If somebody came to you and said, listen, I have no idea about God. I have no idea about Jesus, but somebody gave me a Bible. I know that you're a Christian. 
what is the first place that I should look to find out what Christianity is about? What is the first place in the Bible that I should look at to find out who Jesus is and, uh, and, and this God that you say worship? I think that we would probably all uh, refer that person to probably the most popular verse in the entire Bible, right? John 3.16. Let me show you. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the spot-on right answer. This is what we should be pointing people to, right? If, if we want to know the heart of God, if we want to know the purpose of Jesus and the offering of the Holy Spirit, it is John 3.16. But do you pick up the link between generosity and eternal perspective, even in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. How do I invest my time, my talents, and my treasures into the kingdom of God? That is living a life of generosity. There's a, there's a missionary, a famous missionary by the name of Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to the people in Ecuador. I love this quote from, uh, from Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What a powerful quote. Zebedee is the picture of this. Zebedee worked really, really hard to build this fishing business. Zebedee had plans for James and John to take over the fishing business. James and John probably had plans for them to take over the fishing business. But here's the thing, is Zebedee and James and John's plans were not congruent with the plans that Jesus had for James and John and Zebedee. Jesus actually had a greater plan he had a plan in which he showed James and John and Zebedee how to live with an eternal perspective. And living with an eternal perspective is going to be living a life of generosity. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to focus in on two questions, and we're going to end a little bit differently this morning. But I just want to bring us into an overall time of prayer this morning. And I just want to walk through a couple questions with you this morning is number one, how are you, how am I, how are we living a life of generosity? And number two is how are we, how are you, how am I encouraging those around us to live a life of generosity? Now, you may be in here or Oakwood, you may be, you may be down at Oakwood or online, to where you're saying, Ben, this sounds great. I wish I had a dad like Zebedee, but that wasn't my experience. What am I supposed to do? With all mercy and grace and compassion, but in full belief of the power of the Holy Spirit in and through you, here's my word of encouragement to you. If you didn't have a father, a dad, or a father figure like Zebedee, here's my challenge to you. Let the chain now start with you. Let the chain now start with you. You do realize that Zebedee's opening the gate for his son James and John now links him with hundreds of millions of people's lives that have given themselves over to following Jesus Christ. Let a new chain, let a new pattern, let a new family link start with you. Whether you're a dad, whether you're a father or, or, or father figure, you have people in your circle and sphere of influence that lead them, 
The challenge is to lead them to live a life of generosity, to lead them in a life that encourages them to follow Jesus Christ, to live with that eternal perspective. And you're gonna live with that eternal perspective with constant and consistent faithful obedience to his word and to his prayer. Or you may be in here and you may say, Ben, listen, I'm a single mom in here or I'm spiritually single. I'm married, but my, but my husband or my, 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 my wife is not a follower of Jesus. What am I to do? And that's a great question too. And our, our challenge as a church is to come around to love you and to support you. But here's what I would tell you is the Holy Spirit in full confidence, the Holy Spirit will equip you to do and to be anything and everything that he calls you to be and anything and everything that he calls you to do in the lives that he's already placed around you. Or you may be in the camp where you say, Ben, I'm new to following Jesus. I'm new to following Jesus. Like, how can I lead somebody else to follow Jesus if I'm brand new to following Jesus? All you have to do to lead is to simply be one step ahead. Continue spending time in his word. Continue spending time in prayer and being committed to being obedient to what you know God is speaking in and through you in prayer and you know what God is revealing to you in his word and just live out faithful obedience. So every single one of us, whether you're a man or a woman, a mom or a dad, a father figure, a mother figure, a student, a child in here, we're all called to live with this consistent, faithful obedience and we're called to live with an eternal perspective, but the eternal perspective, the number one fruit of eternal perspective is generosity. So this is not gonna be a time, I'm not gonna ask you to, to, to come down. As a matter of fact, I just simply want to invite you wherever you are, Gainesville, Oakwood, online, if you would simply join me in a time of prayer, wherever you are, just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. We don't believe that we bow our heads and close our eyes because it's some holy posture. We bow our heads and we close our eyes to tune out all the distractions around us. But I just wanna spend some time and allow the Holy Spirit to speak in and through and over us. And I wanna walk you through these questions. And these questions are not at all meant to, to be some point of guilt. They're, 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 they're meant to be a point of reflection to where I ask God this for me. And I allow God to transform me from the inside out. So again, ask God, how, God, how am I living a life of generosity? God, how can I use my time, use my talents, use my treasures, my resources to make a difference for your kingdom? And then the second question, is God, can you show me names and faces of people that you are calling me to encourage them to live a life of following Jesus? God, who have you placed in my life that you've placed them in my life for the purpose of showing them you and encouraging them 
through your word, through prayer. God, we come before you completely humbled by the fact that you are here with us. God, you love us. God, that there is nothing in our lives that is by chance, coincidence, or happenstance. God, the people that you have placed in our lives, God, you have strategically placed them there for such a time as this. God, I pray that you would call our hearts and call our minds and call our lives back to being ones that is most satisfied in you in that consistent, faithful obedience to you. God, we pray that you would help us to live with an eternal perspective. God, our prayer is that you would use us in similar ways like you use Zebedee. God, we want to be gate holders. God, we want to hold the gate open for those that are around us, for those that are coming after us, to applaud them, to cheer them, to encourage them, to follow after you. God, open our eyes to the level and the significance of influence that we already have. And may we steward that, may we manage that for your kingdom with an eternal perspective. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stay in an attitude of prayer, I also want to ask that, that we do this. If you are a dad, if you're a father in here, or you serve as a father figure, I know many men in our church, I know many men in my life that they don't have biological kids, but they have a lot of spiritual kids. God has strategically placed people, men and other men, other women, other students, boys and girls in their lives for them to be a spiritual father. So if you're a father or a father figure in here this morning, can I just ask that we do something? We're gonna keep the lights down low. Can I just ask that you stand? And as you stand, can I ask if there's, if there's somebody that is standing near you, can I ask that you just place your hand on them or place your hand out towards them? We want to pray over you men. We want to pray over you men because this is one of the prayers that we're praying as a church. We're praying that God would unleash his Holy Spirit, not just in and through River Bend, not just in and through Hall County, but this entire region. And I'm firmly convinced, thoroughly convinced, it's gonna start with us. It's gonna start with the men. It's gonna start with the dads. It's gonna start with the fathers and the father figures. But church, we need one another's prayer in this endeavor. So as you reach your hand out, you may be touching them, you may be reaching your hand out over them. Would you silently pray for them? You may know them by name. You may not know them by name. God knows them by name. But would you pray over them? God, for these men, God, we 
love them, but our love for them, God, our heart for them, our desires for them, pale in comparison to your love, your desires, your heart for them. God, I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would protect their hearts, that you would protect their minds. God, I pray that you would protect them from pride and from insecurity. God, I pray that you would infuse them with your Holy Spirit power. God, that you would lead them as you call them to lead those that you've placed around them. God, that you would continually work in and through them. And God, your work in and through them would be an overflow to all that are around them. God, we thank you for these families. God, we thank you for your encouragement. God, we also want to pray over some of the ladies in the house this morning as well, some of the ladies in Oakwood this morning, that there's not a dad, there's not a, there's not a, there's not a, a male, there's not a father figure present, but God, they're pulling spiritual double duty. God, we pray that you would come alongside them and that you would strengthen them. God, that you would comfort them. God, that you would embolden them. God, infuse them with your grace, your power, your mercy, your hope. God, we pray that you would continue to do in and through us what only you could get credit for doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.